Hey, Dr. Punks. Time for a new episode. And this time, we have this great story from Sarah Olaminick, who talks to her family about a really cool project that they've all been involved in together called the Haiti Medical Project. And it struck me as I was listening to Sarah's conversations that these recent episodes of the Dunker Punks podcast have been really focused on having intense, intentional, meaningful conversations with people who are important to us. If you listen to episode 71 with Alyssa, that conversation she had about race and the church with her mom and her grandma was so phenomenal, not only because of the ways they talked about things, but just because she was able to bring up this subject that is sometimes hard to talk about um, with people she loved and to really get into the meat of sometimes difficult but really important conversations with them. And I'm impressed, too, because Sarah does that in this episode with her family, too. The Haiti Medical Project brings people together, both church folk who are passionate about evangelism and church folk passionate about social justice. So it's really interesting to hear Sarah and her family talk about this incredible project they've been working on together and the ways that it is bringing people together across some pretty big divides that exist in our church today. So as you listen to Sarah's conversations, I invite you to think about how can you enter into those conversations about important things with the people you love, but who might not exactly see things the way you do. You're in for a good one, Dunker Punks. Enjoy. Hey, Dunker Punks. Sarah Olaminick here, bringing you another Christmas season podcast. One thing that I personally love about Advent is the sense of anticipation. It's a time of year that brings people together to wait for something beautiful, something transformative. The arrival of a message of radical love and service that fundamentally changes how we interact with the world. For many people, Christmas is also a time of coming together with loved ones and family members, and we don't always see eye to eye about everything, especially in a time that the United States is incredibly politically polarized. I knew I wanted to explore something that has been bringing people together. I ended up coming back to my own family, many of whom have been or are involved in a project very dear to my heart, the Haiti Medical Project. So, in this episode, in the spirit of Christmas, some very tolerant family members agreed to let me pull them aside and ask them some probing questions about their experiences with Haiti Medical Project and how this ministry of service to support people of incredible passion in building a better world has impacted them. Hi, this is Laura. I am Paul's youngest daughter. And I'm Sarah's sister. Yes. Yes. And neither Laura nor I have ever been to Haiti. Mm -hmm. We've just heard about it from our family members that have gone. So Laura and I are going to read you some excerpts from a Moment in Mission piece written by Paul Olaminick that he uses to introduce people to the situation in Haiti today when he talks about Haiti Medical Project. And while we're not going to go into much of it today, it's important to remember that there's a historical context to the problems going on in Haiti, uh, one that has many layers of racism, colonialism, and exploitation, and that it's a history in which the U.S. has sometimes played the roles of enemy and occupier. Haiti is the poorest nation in our hemisphere. Today, in Haiti, a land of 10 million people, only a third are fully employed. The next poorest nation on our side of the world is Nicaragua and it's twice as wealthy. Only half of the adults can read, and schools are private, usually with no state funding. Basic pit toilets are considered a luxury. 
the government of Haiti spends very little on health. $2 per person per year. And even government hospitals charge about a month's salary before allowing emergency room visits. So, people die young in Haiti. A child has 9% chance of dying before the age 5. 40% of this is from things that are easy to treat in states, diarrhea and pneumonia. Death from infections are three times more likely in Haiti than surrounding countries in the Caribbean. Any thoughts after reading all that? Mm. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of crazy just to see that. Two dollars per person per year. And it's really sad that diseases that are really easy to treat in the States here are just, uh, it's really hard to treat there. Uh, It's crazy. Nine percent chance of dying before age five. I understand why dad has a hard time reading this Yeah, crying. And it makes me sad that obviously the, there's problems in the world, but it kind of helps because this little thing that my, my dad and my grandpa are doing is kind of changing the world in their own way. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes me hopeful that I can do something as a 17-year-old. <laughs> okay, so I'm Paul Olaminick. I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> We've met before. Have you always wanted to say that line? (laughs) Yeah. What do you want to know about me? Just Um, do you want to just give us the really short and sweet summary, two sentences version of how you're connected with Haiti Medical? Okay. Yeah. So I'm Paul Olmenik. I uh, went to Haiti in 2010 and was part of an initial group that that started pushing for this what's become the Haiti Medical Project, and I've continued to work with it since that time. Haiti Medical Project had started with clinics. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Mobile clinics. That's it. Thank you. <laughs> started with mobile clinics. And they still do mobile clinics. Once a week, they go out and uh, they have a, a staff, a Haitian staff that sees people, takes care of acute medical needs. But over the last few years, Haiti Medical Project has been moving into a lot more public health things, which include water projects, mm-hmm. educational sort of projects, maternal programs local committees uh, that work with the congregations mm-hmm. um, as far as focusing on what their needs are. Mm-hmm. So Haiti Medical Project is is the name of, of all of those programs. Mm-hmm. Okay. The Haiti Water Project is a emphasis through the McPherson Church of the Brethren um, that they have interest in particularly for the next year or so developing more of the Water Project's part mm-hmm. of Haiti Medical Project. Mm-hmm. So they're using the term Haiti Water Project as a uh, a term for their fundraising effort when they've set a goal of $100,000 they want to raise mm-hmm. to do wells, to do water purification, reverse osmosis, storage, a variety of, of ways of getting pure water to communities that don't have it. And it will all be through the Haiti Medical Project, but Haiti Water Project is the name of the local effort. And so the Water Projects is expanding clean water to more communities or, or looking at new ways of water filtration or That's all right. of those things? There's a, there's a number of different projects that are scheduled for the next year and a number of different projects that we've completed over the last year. And like I say, they, they depend a little bit on what the community wants. So, mm-hmm. for example, we had one community that had a well, but they were close to the coast and their water was very salty, mm-hmm. even though it was coming up from the well. And mm-hmm. so they wanted this reverse osmosis project that would mm-hmm. make that water more potable, more able to use in, in cooking and mm-hmm. drinking than mm-hmm. just livestock. And so that was one project that happened there at that church. Another church, they wanted a well. Another mm-hmm. church wanted a, a rooftop water collection for rainwater. Mm-hmm. And so these projects vary a lot based on the individual circumstances of the local church. Mm-hmm. And so in kind of, I guess, looking at the water project expansion that the McPherson Church is doing, but also just with Haiti Medical in general, 
um, where have you seen people um, on the U.S. side or on the Haitian side coming together in, in support of this project? You know, the, the whole effort in, in Haiti is really interesting because it appeals to a lot of different parts of the church. There's this social change kind of thread in the church where mm -hmm. people want to do good things for people and improve situations that uh, where people are living that, that they don't have the same resources as, as what mm -hmm. we might have in the United States. And that's a thread that's super important to some people. Another thread is the idea of evangelism, of the church being important and drawing people because of its important work that it does. That is really important to some people as far as uh, the mission of the church is to mm -hmm. continue to, to spread the word of God and to do good things and to be understood as a place where people can come and learn more about that. Haiti Medical Project does both of those things really well. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people get excited about this because it's a way of doing evangelism. Sometimes people get excited about it because it's a way of making people's lives better. Mm -hmm. And sometimes both of those things really work together and excite mm -hmm. somebody. So mm -hmm. be between those different aspects, that's a lot of the church getting excited about stuff. And, and that's been fun to see. Thank you very much. Yeah. Anything else you think is important to add? Well, I really am your father. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we cleared that up. <laughs> My name is Helen Olominick. I am a college student at Bridgewater College. And when did you go to Haiti? I went to Haiti about four years ago. And who did you go with? I went with Paula Lominick. Yeah, it's my father. Your dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just so him? We went. It was just, just you two? Um, we went with, well, Grandma, so Beverly Minnick, and Grandpa, um, Dale Minnick, mm -hmm. and then a couple of other people from the church, uh -huh. and we stayed there for about, uh, I would say, a little less than a week. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, we were there, uh, they, they had a conference meeting, they were just trying to figure out what all they've done. So they were just trying to figure out um, where all the money went to mm -hmm. and if there was any like progress that was made. Mm -hmm. There was also some um, other donors that were coming in that were at the meeting um, that wanted to see what was happening. And what was it like for you to see them doing that kind of work down there? People that were there um, needed a lot more service than we could provide. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there was a lot more that you could, if they were there to be medically looked at and there was like thousands of people that mm -hmm. have not seen doctors or mm -hmm. thousands of people that needed to, mm -hmm. to see some kind of provider, you didn't have lots of time to mm -hmm. be with every person and figure all their problems out. You mm -hmm. had to just get the most chronical people at once. Most critical, yeah. Critical. Mm -hmm. And then get through that process first. And then um, if everybody went through, then maybe we can look at like some other issues. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it was more of like, we need to, we need to get as, as fast as we, mm -hmm. we can. There's a lot of people that need help. Yeah. So um, we don't have a lot of time to just spend and just listen to people's problems and mm -hmm. figure out everything. Mm -hmm. uh, it was more of like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Like an emergency just, room more than a yeah than a yeah, and I think a lot of people need a more of like a, a hands-on care, mm -hmm. like something regular. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, I think the biggest project that I was really intrigued with was the water project, where they mm -hmm. were like filtering water with like resources that they already have in um, Haiti, um, which was 
very easy to get, like mm-hmm. rocks and sand, and put it in a filtered process through mm-hmm. the rain. And mm-hmm. That was just so cool, and yeah. I just wanted to do more stuff like that. So I'm majoring in biology and then minoring in political science to do a little bit of public health mm-hmm. stuff. So a lot of the things they're doing there is public health related. And so I definitely think that that trip helped me discover what I wanted to do in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My name is Dale Minnick, and uh, I've been connected with the project uh, from, from its early, not quite at the very beginnings, but close in in its first year of life. Uh, the primary thing that got me going was my son's involvement in advocating for such a program to be developed and sponsored some way by the Church of the Brethren. And uh, he actually got that approved to do. We didn't have any money for it. Uh, and that's what really drew me in was mm-hmm. the need to raise some money. And I've been around the Church of the Brethren circles and know a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So we started, and it was really amazing how brethren took to it they wanted to see something like that done this is mm-hmm. the poorest place in the western hemisphere and uh, we were there of course as disaster response did a great job built about 200 houses mm-hmm. and so forth and what what year would that have been uh starting in 2008 when okay. there were tropical storms mm-hmm. and flooding and then in 2010 the huge earthquake mm-hmm. And then in the wake of that well there was there was a medical team that was named and and my my son Paul was one of the physicians on, as mm-hmm. part of it, and uh, that started his passion for getting something done, and I was very eager in learning about that mm-hmm. and watching the first international dinner be organized mm-hmm. here in Kansas that mm-hmm. earned like $7,000, nothing yeah. to do, maybe four clinics, and I enjoyed the food, but especially the, the enthusiasm of the people to work on that. And so you've been down there a fair number of times now. Uh, yes. Uh, I usually, it's once or twice a year that I'll go, that mm-hmm. I'll go down, uh, mainly to interact with uh, the lead staff and plan. And so, so during the time that you've been involved on, on that side of it, uh, who are some of the people that are, that are doing the work on the yeah. ground there in Haiti that, that you've been building relationships yeah. with? There's two main parts of, of the project. One is the, is the mobile clinic group. And they were the first to start. Went for about two years. That's what Haiti Medical Project was, was mm-hmm. doing medical clinics. Mm-hmm. And we still do. They're mm-hmm. sort of the basis of where we started. But mm-hmm. uh, with that group, the lead doctor on, mm-hmm. on staff was a person I related to a good mm-hmm. bit. And I've gotten to know uh, the nursing staff, well, the medical mm-hmm. staff. That's a nine-person nine staff. Mm-hmm. And what, what was his name of the, the lead medical uh, This is Dr. Salone. Dr. Salone, okay. Yeah. And... Um, as we branched out then into community development things after a couple of years working mm-hmm. more on lead causes of uh, disease mm-hmm. and things like that, mm-hmm. we developed a staff for that. So we have several lead people in that, uh, mm-hmm. Vilder Archange mm-hmm. and Jean-Billy Telfort, and the general secretary down there is, is Romy, Romy Telfort. Those are the folks that I worked most closely with now, and this came out because we now have a foundation that's providing uh, significant monies, and they really need to know, and we need to know, to ask them for something that really is going to get something done as the mm-hmm. next step. Really, what are the plans, and how is it mm-hmm. thought through, and who's going to uh, do that? How much resource do we need? Mm-hmm. What can we find in addition to... Well, the foundation has always been an extra thing. We've had mm-hmm. a strong support from uh, brethren folks who want to mm-hmm. get at it and, and participate and more recently, 
we've developed some experience in doing pure water projects. Mm -hmm. uh, and then starting in 2018, uh, we've launched a three-year project to bring pure water to 20 communities where mm -hmm. we're related. Actually, it'll be about 24 projects uh, till we cover that territory. Mm -hmm. And we're doing real well. We're, uh, well. The first eight projects that we're working on this year uh, are either done or underway and will done be done by at least the early months of next year. And uh, we see funds shaping up for next year and uh, we've got our, our, our spreadsheet of mm -hmm. where we want to go next. So that's, that's, all, that's working real well. And so what, um, what for you over the course of this journey, what's been one of the most fulfilling things yeah. out of being involved in, in this project? Well, you know, I've, in, in the past I've worked at some fundraising things for the Church of the Brethren and otherwise, and, uh, you know, that's gone fairly well. But I've never experienced anything like this, where mm -hmm. there's such an innate desire among the brethren who know about it to mm -hmm. get involved and just trying to nurture nurture that along. Mm -hmm. and, and so it, there's nothing hard to sell in terms <laughs> of uh, the fundraising that yeah. we do. It's mainly telling people how they can be involved and what it would take to do this mm -hmm. and, uh, and just helping them find their, find their way through. Mm -hmm. So I, I find it very satisfying uh, kind of relating to people who are emerging into a, a deeper relationship with uh, the Church of the Brethren in mm -hmm. terms of service ministry. My name is Jessica Olominick. I am the daughter of Paul Olominick. And my experience with Haiti is I went and visited a lot of the projects going on with a group of college students a couple years back. And how old were you when you went? I think I was 16. Mostly we were just visiting around. We got to help out uh, hosting a clinic one day. So as far as like getting people through, weighing, measuring... Uh, a couple of the girls in our group were also like helping to run the pharmacy and handing out whatever medications we had. Uh, we also visited a couple different schools and we saw some of the clean water projects that are going on to help the students there like be able to have access to clean water so that they can still attend schools. So the water project we did was or the water project we witnessed happening was really like a complicated system of like filtering in which the water was put through like gravel and then sand and like several other things and it like took a lot of time and a lot of effort. But like that was the resources they had, and it mm -hmm. worked. And so, what was the what was seen as kind of the benefit of bringing down your group of of students to to Haiti? Our group was pretty much just educational. It was mm -hmm. trying to take these college students from, well, and me, even though I wasn't a college student, mm -hmm. from a very like privileged area, and show us like what exactly was going on. Because it's one thing to hear about all like the conditions in Haiti. It's another mm -hmm. thing to like see them and stay there. And like, it was more ridiculous than anything else. Mm -hmm. That a short, like, flight away from the United States, there is this country where people are living literally with, mm -hmm. like, pit toilets and, like, not clean food or not clean water. And mm -hmm. it's just crazy. It just gives it an element of realism. And I think mm -hmm. the goal of the trip was probably to ignite that same passion in us that, mm -hmm. like, we saw in all the, all the leaders down there. None of them had just kind of, like, ended up in these situations that had always been, like, something they wanted to do, something mm -hmm. they, like felt was necessary and they dedicated their lives to doing doing medicine or medicine or just like improving general living conditions mm -hmm. i remember at, at national youth conference you shared a, a student reflection um, that was talking about being the bright colors and the exciting mm -hmm. things against a drab background 
Am I summarizing that well? Or yeah, would you put it yeah. It's the idea that like we as youth need to stop trying to fit in, mm-hmm. um, because like the values that especially the brethren church have aren't values that fit into society, and so mm-hmm. it's paradoxical. It's never going to happen that we fit in, so we might as well stand out. Do you see the kind of the passion that you saw in people that are that are doing that kind of work in Haiti? Is that sort of that same passion that you oh definitely were thinking about definitely yeah the one Haiti is a very colorful country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when we were down there. There's colors on everything, whether it's like the buildings or mm-hmm. the cars or ev- like everything. Mm-hmm. And I think the people that we met definitely like reflected that. Talking mm-hmm. about their passion and they want to do these things. They're not worried about trying to fit in mm-hmm. at all. They're solely focused on making a change and doing what they know is right. I think more than anything, it is a wake-up call. Yeah. And that I think that's part of, like, why I've become so passionate about politics. And now I'm, like, going to college and majoring in political science. And mm-hmm. hopefully eventually going to be able to be in a position to do something about, like, the craziness of this situation. And if there's anyone listening that's thinking about Christmas donations and will be interested in supporting the water project effort, is there an online way that they can donate to that or does it donate to Haiti Medical? That's right. The online is at the Church of the Brethren website. There's a Haiti Medical Project donate button and I think you can do a comment on there and you can say if you're you're interested in the water projects, Mm -hmm. put that in there. If you're interested in the programs in general, you don't have to specify and they'll use the money as they Mm -hmm. see best. I felt so blessed to be able to have had these conversations with such important people in my life. And I wish you all an Advent season filled with meaningful conversations with the people who are important to you. I'd like to thank everyone who agreed, even if slightly reluctantly, to be a part of this episode. I know that as Christmas gets closer, I'll be reflecting on the kind of transformative love, passion, and service that moves people to grow deeper in their spirituality and in their relationship with the church. The kind of transformation that helps us to build bridges across divisions of age, culture, ideology, and fear and to build a better world together. The anticipation of Advent is wonderful, but it's the chance to finally welcome that radical transformation and love back into our lives for the year to come that I think really makes all the anticipating meaningful. Merry Christmas, Dunkerpunks. I was really struck by what Sarah's grandpa, Dale, said about how the Haiti Medical Project doesn't really take a whole lot of, you know, advertising or explaining. He said as soon as he talks to people and explains what they're doing in one of the poorest countries in the world, church people, Church of the Brethren people, are just excited to support it. And that was really impressive to me because you probably know, just as well as I do, that our church, the Church of the Brethren, is not exactly of one mind about many things these days. So this idea that we could do something together to be of service and of witness to our brothers and sisters around the world, that's really encouraging to me. We often talk about these two things, evangelism and social justice, as if they're polar opposites and could never coexist. And we think about the people who are more interested in the other one, whatever that is, as maybe somehow our enemies or people we need to convince or people we don't need at all. But actually, in the gospel, these two sides of what it means to follow Jesus, witness and action, are together. They can't exist without one another. Dr. Ron Sider, who's a professor of theology and the author of Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger, says that without social works, evangelism appears to be all talk. But without sharing the hope and good news of the gospel, 
ministry lacks the Holy Spirit's transformative power. Neither side of social justice ministry is complete, he says, without the other. We might take some time to think about what does evangelism look like when you do it with honesty, or what does social justice mean for you in your neighborhood or your city? It's going to look different, both things, depending on where you are and who you are. But these words from 1 Peter chapter 3 always encourage me when I'm thinking about this complicated, clunky, sometimes divisive subject. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. In my congregation, Peace Covenant, Church of the Brethren in Durham, we talk about this combination of witness and action as being who we are out loud. We put up a sign in front of our church doorway that says in several languages, no matter where you're from, we're glad you're our neighbor. Maybe you've seen them. And we started changing the message on our church sign that's out by the road to reflect our understanding of Jesus' commands to love one another, love our enemies, be at peace with one another. They were pretty small changes, but I was blown away by the impact these signs and honest accountings of the hope that we have had. People started visiting our tiny congregation because they saw our signs and they gave them hope. The ESL students who meet in our building finally felt welcome enough to come join a potluck with us because they saw that we had signs in their languages, Arabic and Spanish, and they were even impressed that our signs talked about being peaceable, about making and living peace. We even got cards in the mail from random neighbors who thanked us for being open about our faith, for putting the words of Jesus on our sign. Incredible. This Christmas season, Dunker Punks, how can you start some meaningful conversations with the people you love? How can you try to combine witness and action, evangelism and social justice? How will you be who you are out loud? The Dunker Punks podcast is a collaboration of over 20 young adults from across the country and listeners like you. Arlington Church of the Brethren founded and sponsors the project that reaches beyond the traditional church, features the emerging church, and welcomes everyone into a new kind of community in Christ. For this episode, the team included Sarah Olaminick, Kevin Schatz, Suzanne Lay, and me, your host, Dana Cassell. We are always excited to interact with you, Dunker Punks, online, in person. You can find us at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp and share us all over social media. Till next time, take care, Dunker Punks. I just want to be me.